I would see her every day. During my years in seminary, I took the train into Chicago regularly. It was one of my favorite parts of the whole experience. The train would be crammed full of people shuttling from the suburbs into the city. The echoing chime of the bells beckoning backwards and forwards would signal to all that we had arrived. Each day, thousands would funnel through the downtown station, and I adored especially the hordes of people moving like waves of energy, pushing through as if on some unknown pilgrimage, some endless quest to an unknown destination. I would see earth tones, blues and blacks, briefcases, backpacks, the occasional bow tie, all of them headed onward into their daily lives, into the daily march of commerce and industry. I always allowed myself to get swept up in the energy of that crowd, in the brushing of shoulders with strangers as we hurried on through the station. Most of all, I loved feeling the feeling of connection to all of these people. We shared something in that journey each morning. If only briefly, we shared a quarter-mile walk through the station and out into the city of Chicago. That connection was enough for me. I would imagine my place amidst it all of it. Perhaps I was an over-eager seminarian at the time, looking for meaning in everything, but I wanted to feel that my place amidst these people had a clear and definable purpose. I was a part of the current. I was a part of a living and breathing community that performed this ritual every single morning without question. It was a ritual that saw no strangers, saw no end, and pressed on despite our moments of joy and sorrow, living and breathing. Despite my needing to iron out some grand purpose to this morning commute, the people simply marched onward each day without so much as a hint or a suggestion. There was no answer in sight. So being faced with my existential crisis on a near daily basis, I did what anyone would do in my position. I would buy a cinnamon roll and a cup of coffee. <laughs> with my comfort food, with my existential comfort food in hand, I would rejoin the masses and we would file outside onto a bridge that passed over the Chicago River. The bridge would end at the doors of the Civic Opera Building, standing tall and proud, a behemoth of Art Deco brilliance, and there she would stand. I would see her every day. I speak of a person that is often unseen. She stood against the pulse of commuters, defying the waves of people. Her hair was tidy, her makeup simple. She reminded me of a grandmother, and she had a heaviness to her eyes that told a story I could not read. If it weren't for the sign that she held, I would likely have never thought much about any of my daily encounters with her. She smiled at everyone and held up a simple sign that read, You are not alone. The waves of people would avert their eyes and move on, but still she smiled, still she stood. Still she defied the mass of people of which I was a part. She was a stranger in her own city. I came to understand what that felt like being a stranger in my own city. I am the only son of lifelong Southside Chicagoans. 
We were blue-collar and had a culture that stood out in Chicago. Southsiders are a notorious people. Their accents were noticeable and distinct. Mine still comes out when I'm yelling at bad drivers on the road. They were hostile to outsiders, close-knit, fiercely loyal to the White Sox and Mayor Daley, both of them, and content with simple living. Their blood is the blood of the stockyards, the builders of Chicago. The only similarity around here that I can think of is that of Southie in Boston. The two people share a little in common, though I know their struggles are their own. But that being said, I knew what it was like to not be seen. Morning and evening, she stood at that spot, facing the crowds, wishing them well, holding her sign. She was not alone in this endeavor, but she definitely stood out. I could not help but think that she looked like one of us and could easily be journeying with me into the city every day. On and on this went for my first year of seminary. And then I noticed something beginning to change. Around the beginning of winter, people started stopping and talking with her. They would bring her coffee, give her a hug, smile and laugh, and suddenly, suddenly, she was being seen. It was a small group that regularly stopped, sipping their coffees, the visitors in their business suits, with her still holding her sign. She was no longer a stranger. Some months later, an article appeared in the Chicago Tribune. Smack dab in the middle of the page was a photo of this very same woman. It told of her life. She was a Southsider, like me, born and raised. She was trying to help her daughter, a single mother, make ends meet. But she was at an age where she felt she could not easily be seen and hired. She was doing the only thing that she thought would be the next best step, handing out resumes to bankers, judges, executives, and lawmakers, all marching past her morning, noon, and night. Her name was Anita, and she was a stranger to this city in more ways than one. So one day, I decided to stop and talk with her. As an outsider to this place and culture here in Massachusetts, I've tried to notice who else amongst us is a stranger in the land of Concord. Who else stands against the flow of this place? Who else sticks out and wanders around in bewilderment, holding up their own signs in some way? Here in Concord, it is easy to get swept up in the idea that we, too, are a part of a mass of people, part of a culture that moves along in our daily lives with little variation. It's easy to believe that we are all the same and that the good work we hope for is anywhere but here. But there are those amongst us that are strangers. They still feel it in their bones. They carry a story with them that goes against what we might believe to be the norm. There are people whose stories have roots in racial, gender, religious, or class hardship. There are those amongst us who perhaps feel a shame similar to the shame I felt growing up as a blue-collar Southsider in a wealthy suburb. That shame tells you that it might not feel like there is enough to go around, that you aren't doing everything that you can, that you might not belong here in Concord. That shame is real and painful. And if anything, my message here today, what I would love people to take away, is for you to know that, yes, you do belong here. 
that it is okay and we need your voice. We need you to continue to stand against the flow of the everyday. It is okay to feel this shame because there's a great deal of work to do in our wider culture. There's this burden of growing class division and it's injecting itself into real and grim parts of our everyday lives, race, poverty, injustice. These issues will have a familiar ring to all of you by now. We've been talking quite a lot about race, class, and diversity this year. It may feel sudden and overwhelming. It may feel uncomfortable or unneeded. It may challenge us in ways that are new or baffling, and we may find ourselves considering parts of our world, our country, or our town that are simply unjust and unfathomable. So long as these things break our hearts, I contend that they should be spoken of. They should be brought into the consciousness of all of us here today again and again, even if it is frustrating. And I say this to you not just as a minister, but as someone whose heart breaks every day for these reasons. I want to welcome those who are strangers amongst us, those people who are struggling quietly or loudly, those people who feel ashamed or out of place. I want to tell them that our words as a people of faith translate into actions. I want to look them in the eyes and say, yes, we are brothers and sisters. How can I help? I want to believe, I truly do want to believe, that this is the core of why this message is being repeated our Unitarian Universalist values call us to see worth and dignity in all people. This does involve the strangers amongst us. It includes the oppressed and the poor. It includes people that we are not quite happy with as well. And there are many of them. We are asked not just to grapple with our values and come to believe in their usefulness, but to also put them into action. There is a spiraling crisis popping up in multiple corners of the world, and it is possible, dear friends, that things will not get better immediately. We know the effects of climate change are real and present. You heard about the island of Malta, an entire island nation that is sinking. We see the escalation of police violence against people of color just this past week again, and it breaks my heart to tell you another man was needlessly lost. And we see a growing gap between those who have and those who do not. Food banks and shelters are always busy these days. But we need not despair. It's grim news, but we need not despair. Instead, we need to believe that our values are not just cute statements that we make to make the world feel nice. They are calls to action that you can be a part of, that you are encouraged to be a part of. There are ways to bridge the gaps between people that we see as the other and instead form lasting and fruitful relationships that aren't just about writing goodwill checks. Now, I won't make any presumptions about all of you here today, about your own individual pasts and how that informs you in this moment, so I will not tell you to give up your questions, your resources, or your own roots, but I will tell you to give of your souls. I will tell you to give of them and to share freely with the people who are not like you, to notice them, to listen to them, to hear their stories and to share your own story. This is the opening up of compassion, and this is how we build relationships. 
we are to give any meaning to our work as Unitarian Universalists and truly answer any call to action. And I know there are those of you in this room in this very moment that want less words and more action. I agree with you. If we are to truly answer that call, we cannot do it as white knights rescuing people. We must do this work as a people that welcome the stranger, the oppressed, the downtrodden, and to walk with them. We must not ask these people, these people who are brothers and sisters, we must not ask them to change and become more like us, but to honor where they come from and to set aside our own agendas. Part of our identity as Unitarian Universalists is how much we value covenant, the promises that we make from our values. And what this means for all of us here today in this room, in these pews, is that we are all responsible for holding each other accountable for our commitments to our faith that seeks an ever more just and fair world. It is one thing to talk about injustice, race, class, and climate change. It is another thing to acknowledge that it affects all of us. We are participants in a world whose struggles will impact us. Whether they are in the south side of Chicago or in Southie and Boston or in Revere or here in Concord, they will impact us. Perhaps sooner, perhaps later, but they will. Last night, this parish celebrated the story of Passover. We blessed wine and matzah, we ate bitter greens and salt, and told a story of a people whose struggles led to liberation. The Jewish people across the world tell this story every year to remind themselves of the bitterness of enslavement and the sweetness of freedom. There's something undeniably human and universal in this story for all of us, And while I cannot fully know down to the core of my being what that story means to an entire people, I can understand why such stories are important. They're stories told every day, over and over. Those of us from marginalized communities know the sting of oppression and know the sweetness of freedom. But so too, we know just how bittersweet it is because there is a world of work before us. If we value our covenants to one another at all, if we value this faith and its calls to action, then we know what needs to be done. Oftentimes, that work begins just by reaching out to those around you, just by knowing them and listening to them and acknowledging their presence. Sometimes just letting someone release their worries, their shame, or their isolation is work well done. And we will need these relationships with those around us. Relationships with friends and strangers, morning commuters, and sign holders at the end of a bridge. For what awaits us all in the days and years to come, our stories will matter. Our own roots, our own hardships need not be silenced, but instead used to remove the shame and to build that beloved community we talk about so much. past February. I visited my home in Chicago, and I, of course, took a train into the city to walk around and visit the things I had come to miss. I wondered if I would see Anita standing at the end of the bridge holding her sign. I wondered if she finally found a job, if she finally left her spot and found the hope she was looking for. 
But upon getting off the train and walking across that familiar bridge, my wonderings came to an end. There she stood. There she still smiled. There she still held that familiar sign, offering a kind word to all who passed by. I said hello. We talked about the old neighborhood, and I told her that I would be thinking of her. It was all I could do in that moment. But I still wonder, is she still there? Is she still waiting for her liberation? It's easy to feel helpless when we are faced with the problems of the world. It's easy to slip into the trap of wanting to solve every problem immediately and all at once. And this does you no good. It only leads to burnout, anger, and disappointment. For those of you even wondering where to begin with face, when facing the racial divides in our nation, the class inequality, or the threats to our planet, you can start by simply looking around this room and realizing you have companions for the journey. It may last a lifetime. It will be hard. It is work that, is, that challenges our souls and digs deep into our bones. But you are not alone. We will not solve the world's problems, we few, but we can be a part of a growing movement to bridge that gap between people that are divided and work toward a more whole and holy world. So I ask you, in the coming weeks and months ahead, who will you welcome into this good and holy work before us? May it always be so. Blessed be.